All right, and welcome to Real Grit, the Cowboy Podcast. I'm your lead host for this episode, Tristan Blummer, and I'm joined today by my fellow hosts, Andrew Vosser and Kamey Davison. Hello, 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 hello. Yeah, what's going on? So today's episode, as we teased last time, we're going to be looking into Cortez, Columbus, and their relationship to the introduction of cattle into like North America and the uh, future cattle industry that necessitated the, necessitated the creation of the modern cowboy. Because without cows, you don't have a cowboy. This is true. It's kind of in the name, you know. Yeah, cowboy, cow, girl. <laughs> yep. So, which we kind of talked about, I think, in the past, that most continents and countries have all had herders and and people who lived, you know, with livestock for many years. So it's probably it's probably actually, not one of the uh, oldest professions there is. Well, not the oldest, but yes, pretty close, <laughs> <laughs> close enough. <laughs> and um, the uh, U.S. or Americas were kind of like late to the party. We were because we were a relatively new, younger country you know and at least with the settlers because the the uh, native americans didn't have really any livestock they had the, the you know buffalo but they didn't domesticate them and then they really didn't have horses until they were brought you know brought over and they were taught later on by um spanish which we'll get into later so start off actually so you guys might you can jump in if you I think you maybe had some more information maybe on Cortez. I was actually not finding a whole lot of information kind of on Cortez. The first one that I really was finding a bunch on that had to do with kind of importation of cattle was actually uh, Hernan Cortez. Or sorry, not Cortez, which is Cortez, sorry. But the, uh, what's the other name here? Uh, Gregorio de Villalobos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah. He actually was the one that was working with Cortez um, and credited with kind of being responsible for the initial shipment of cattle back in f- into Mexico in 1521. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think then, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on this subject. Um, but I do remember um, reading some, I think... Uh, what is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic were kind of the staging areas for these explorers. And yes. from my understanding, they did have cattle on those, those islands kind of imported from Spain, um, you know, because salted beef was kind of a, a staple for most sea, seagoing voyages, things like that. So again, I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that is from my understanding where, at least where I understood that Cortez, he may not have brought beef as in livestock to South America, but he may have brought beef in terms of, I don't know, salted beef, whatever. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if the record books, books well, they, rather. Yeah. Okay. They, they, they say he is credited with bringing the initial shipment of cattle to Mexico in 1521. So the, the two of them like were, were credited with bringing it to Mexico, but they don't think he made it all the way up to like um, the U S yeah, yeah, no, absolutely but, not. I don't think so. I mean, if you think about why they would have brought beef, right? That would have just been part of their baggage train. They would have brought brought uh, live cattle on the ships, and then when they were marching wherever they were going, you know, Mexico City. I, I can't remember the name of the the what it was called then. Um, but yeah, they would have had cattle just for food, honestly, for vittles, as yeah. they were called. <laughs> yep. Well, it was, it was actually interesting. So you know, when you do research into it. 
Um, there's typically four possible paths of introduction to cattle into the United States. And nobody seems to really know which one was really the first. They kind of all were happening around the same time. And we'll kind of go through each one of these. But um, the first one is what you like kind of talked about, like the West Indies into the Atlantic Gulf of Mexico, kind of like Haiti and such. Like um, we'll talk a little bit, a little bit um, about like uh, Columbus was really kind of part of that. And then you have, of course, like Cortez, Mexico into the southwestern areas in California. Um, third was the French colony. Oh, sorry. No, that, that'd be like Haiti. The French colonies, St. Lawrence Valley, the old Northwest. Um, and then fourth is directly from Europe into the American colonies, which that probably that probably happened later. Um, mm-hmm. They even talk about like Roanoke the community. Um, but basically, the historical evidence supports that all these paths of entry used is we don't know which one was the first. And probably the reason there's such a scarcity of <laughs> of information is because the colonial Americans were so busy making economic history, they failed to write everything down. <laughs> they were kind of busy just surviving. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. things happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your you know, annals of history don't really matter if you're all dead. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Plus, yeah. actually, it was an interesting point. We, we talked a little bit early on about, like, the cowboys themselves, and there's not a lot of information about... Um, that time period probably had to do with with literacy there wasn't always a lot of literate um you know people working in the industry that were writing things down there was a you know kind of a smaller handful that took the time and had the ability to actually write about stuff so and even think about us today as well i mean how much do we go and actually record down just in our personal lives a lot of the day-to-day stuff and that kind of gets preserved along you know i mean you could maybe find some stuff from these periods like in the period of the cowboy and in letters and things but those get lost in in obscurity they get destroyed in in over time and if yeah if it's not preserved then it just kind of gets gets lost i mean I've, I've heard i've heard talk about we hear the term like the 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 dark ages and a lot of people thought well it's just because there wasn't a lot written during that period well a lot of it came down to was was the um the as the printing press came along printed books became all the rage before that they were all handwritten and so handwritten books were no longer work. popular <laughs> and so they were just tossed out and thus went a lot of histories as well so i mean all sorts of things were you know at one time it could have been written down lost um or yeah you're just too busy trying to survive Who, who's got time to to document it. So, <laughs> and you kind of wonder even today, everybody, you know, everybody's got a, 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 a camera on their, on their phone and things like that. And they've got all their pictures on every social media site, but when that's gone and wiped and doesn't exist anymore, all that history goes with it too. So really mm-hmm. a lot of history you have are just little remnants of tidbits of this and that that's happened to survive. And so much more is gone forever. Yeah. I mean, most history is based on like what, one, two, maybe three sources. I mean, yeah, understanding of the Roman Empire is, I mean, it's just based on like Josephus and a couple of other people, like not a whole lot, you know? So, yeah. Um, There's an interesting quote that I found here from this uh, GA Bowling in the introduction to cattle in colonial North America. He basically said the scarcity of data relative to the first importations of cattle into colonial North America has lent obscurity to one of the most interesting, interesting phases in early American husbandry. In fact, this paucity and incompleteness of information dealing with the introduction of cattle into what is now the United States has led many authors in the field of animal and dairy husbandry to almost study 
an almost steady disregard of this primary stage of development. So they kind of almost ignore it because they're like, eh, nobody knows. Um, even though it's considered that the foundations of cattle husbandry were laid in almost every one of the 13 original colonies and in the south and southwestern part of the present United States before any appreciable progress had been made in the systemic improvement of cattle in England and continental Europe. So actually, there was cattle here before it really became even necessarily a big thing in, in Europe. So it, it was still pretty early on. Uh-huh. Start back on the... Um, Columbus, I think, kind of Andy, you had mentioned that talking about Columbus bringing cattle, which I actually didn't realize. You know, I mean, it makes right, sense. Yeah, that, that was in some of my when I was researching stuff. Yeah, on that first, our first kind of introductory overview of things was yeah, Columbus was. I guess if you want to talk about getting closer to America proper, I guess that was Columbus was. They had some with them. Yeah, sailed the ocean blue in 1492 and brought some cattle too. <laughs> Yep. Which they, they said that it was actually like um, his second voyage in 1493 that they actually had more, more at least they had live cattle because they basically, he went back and was like, we need some livestock. And so they brought actually seeds and plants and some colonists to inhabit it, the, inhabit the, uh, the new world. And they actually had, they had uh, mares like uh, horses, sheep, heifers, and other animals. And they actually, they called them, what do they call them? Neat cattle. It's what they're called. They're like a smaller, they would fit better on their small ships. Because in the 16th century, their ships weren't terribly large, so you can't have very big bunches yeah, of cattle. You, on there. They, no, they were, probably weren't around yet. Yeah, you didn't want any longhorns on there or something like that. No. Take up too much space. Mostly, said, mostly heifers and calves. You want the yeah. babies and the moms, not necessarily like an angry bull on there. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you got the calves too, because then they could kind of, they're smaller starting off. They will grow, but they're still not going to be, yeah, full grown. Then you can, if they survive the voyage, yeah, then you can exactly. then you can fatten them up on the grass once you once you get yeah. To imagine the the amount of feed. I guess you could maybe stop over once you got closer to the Americas. You have there's some islands and such that would have grazing, but yeah, that's a lot of like hay and stuff to to tonnage to carry with you. Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about um, you know taking it back, to, we talked earlier about the G.A. Hinty book. Um, for the listener, it's, he's an old English author, Mr. G.A. Hinty. I think most of us grew up on him here in the podcast anyways. Uh, he wrote a book uh, called By Right of Con- Conquest or With Cortez in Mexico, um, which is, I would argue, a highly fictionalized version of what actually happened, but I think he probably used what he had. Um, but one of the things he talked a lot about was horses. Um, and so I think... It's safe to say that if the European conquistadors had figured out how to ship horses and kept them fed, they probably would have done a pretty good job of doing that for cattle because that was their food source. And that's one of those things that's probably, I wouldn't say lost to history, but it's kind of lost to um, our fingertip history, if you will. You know, just a quick Google search of like, how did they actually manage to bring such a large amount of livestock and feed them and whatnot i mean our you know i'm i'm not in the navy I'm, I'm not a naval man so i have no clue but i would imagine they had a pretty good system because uh without protein you know your army can't i mean was i think napoleon said like an army can't fight an empty stomach or something along those lines I forget. yeah an army marches on its stomach I yeah think. exactly yeah, yeah. So paraphrasing yeah well actually so actually on that note interesting thing um 
so back to like yeah columbus and in year later he convinced the king and the queen to authorize contractors to bring in like the beasts of burden so they brought the cattle there and then by 1512 they kind of had a fixed cattle industry going in the west indies now we jump forward to the time period of like uh 1565 so we're about you know 60 years in the future or 70 years in the future and there's actually large large herds of cattle in um the west indian islands but the funny thing is they don't use them for meat almost at all there's some really old english accounts um i was reading some some documentation from that time period that had written down where he would they would see them just slaughter huge like um you say like 1500 yearly he killeth for the skins and for the flesh saving only the tongues and the rest he leaveth for the fowl to devour so basically they were just slaughtering the cattle for the their their leather in their tongues because that was considered a delicacy and leaving all the rest the spoil they had so many in fact they said um they would refer to them as dairies even though they were actually cattle ranches but they called them dairies back then and then 1570, 70, 1572 there was a gentleman in, um, in mexico that had twenty thousand head of cattle so they had already grown to that big of herds at that time wow yeah well i think we also have to take into consideration too with the you know we're talking about kind of how did the cattle get here and why did they do so well and you know starting in south america and then obviously moving to our our area of expertise or what we're talking about you know north america united states i think we also have to you know remember that for a cattle to i don't know be successful if you will on the open range it's one to one so one cattle per one acre of land of grazing land is kind of the rule of thumb um and so you're looking at a Europe that most of the land was owned by the gentlemen, right? The gentile. Um, and the, they made more money off of crops. Crops is how you made money. I mean, probably somewhat like the South and the antebellum period where it was cash crops. But cattle needed a lot of land to roam. And where was there a lot of land? South America and, and you know, moving up north, North America. I mean massive massive tracts of just open range land full of just sagebrush and weeds which is perfect for cattle right yeah um, so i think that's an interesting thing far. yeah because we think about like uh, oh what is that the the oh, i forget the scotland with the scotland uh oh the highlands yeah the highland breed of cattle you know they're they're tiny right um they're small like Shetland ponies, but I think Highland also cattle a lot, are also kind of shaggier coat to keep them warm. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I believe yeah Highland cattle are also smaller. So you're looking at like you know um, a lot. I think a lot of that might have to do with why the the cattle industry just exploded in you know what was called New Spain or Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Well, and they, yeah. So it's kind of like you you have, it's funny, a lot of animals that way, like fish are that way. They grow to the size of their tanks. So you got more room. They actually can grow bigger. That's probably why the uh, Texas longhorns are so big. <laughs> Everything's bigger they're, in Texas. They're in Texas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, hats off to our Texas listeners. Yeah. Oh, and another thing too, yeah, they said that a lot of times they were um, also slaughtering for was tallow. Because they needed that for cat for uh, candles, because oh, you know, yeah. that's your light, light source. So yeah, a lot of that was leather, and I mean that was the most durable. 
um you know you didn't you didn't have the synthetic materials that they make clothes with nowadays so you would use you know leather for all of your your wear for you know clothing and other um industrial uses where you needed a flexible strong uh, substance so yeah they needed a lot of it so next we get to the part about when cattle actually made it to the US um one of the possibilities was Sir Walter Raleigh's expedition where he actually came up the uh the Atlantic coast of the new world and stopped in Haiti which you kind of had you'd mentioned earlier and this is uh the year 1585 and they were kind of welcomed and entertained by the Spanish for a while and those these uh, English visitors kind of noticed that oh the West Indies is a great source for cattle they, um, there's actually some fun little little things of them talking about them seeing these cattle kind of being surprised that there's such an industry going on I mean it's like f- a full scale like markets and stuff happening with these these cows and uh, they kind of took note of that like hey this is this is kind of a good idea this might be handy so they actually purchased a lot of them were purchasing cattle and other livestock um, in Haiti to then bring to the eastern um, coast of North America and that the group of colonists are actually the ones who landed on Roanoke Island but you guys know the the story of the Roanoke colony one of the earliest American mysteries whole whole colony that I think was was it I should have actually looked up the story it's been a little while since I've read it but I I think it was Sir Walter Raleigh basically went back to Europe Mm -hmm. to like get more supplies kind of report on the success and then it was it was at least a year or so later it was a little bit of time he came back and the whole colony just disappeared gone their their village and stuff there but no no signs of actual like no signs of i guess there were some if i remember there were some grave sites but not nowhere near what it should have been for the 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 amount of people that were there they just disappeared and then there's theories that there's they joined up with some of the indians either some were raided or they left of their own accord because there was a a virus you know some kind of disease that was was killing them off they probably just went native (laughs) yeah well and that's (laughs) actually the thing that's that's what i've heard is there's actually then not too long after there were groups of of natives with children with like blonde hair and blue eyes. So they actually, they thought that they kind of just integrated with some of the, the local tribes, which he was, he was confused because the, the colony was going strong and fine. And he's not sure why they just disappeared. It's, it's just a mystery, but apparently there was some cattle also in that <laughs> mystery as well <laughs> that they brought along. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think most people think of cattle kind of generally being a, western thing right i mean we're obviously we're talking about cowboys that's the whole point of the podcast um but it's naive to think that cattle didn't play an important role in the initial colonization of america as well as i mean i would imagine I, i can't speak for certain but i would imagine that even washington probably had cattle in his uh his supply chains when he was marching around in the continental army right but i think that they were more seen as just a a means to an end um, they were there for food and it really wasn't until or for hauling things. They would use like oxen. Yeah. And they would use oxen for exactly. carrying cannons and such pulling. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it really was the, the cowboy that, well, I mean, obviously the cowboy was created for the cow, obviously the name. Um, but it was the, which is something interesting. I don't know. I, I haven't really seen anything about it, but like the uptick of beef consumption 
right? Like when that occurred. Um, yeah, like when when did I mean, yeah, when did did uh the upper class if you will start eating beef and the cause I, if I'm not mistaken all the and I think uh you guys can back me up on this or you know counter me whatever, but I think the gentle population or the aristocracy beef wasn't ne- necessarily a staple. It was more uh venison, kind of wild game. Um Goose, duck, fish—I think were kind of was kind of the good food. I don't know. I actually have not. I'm not. I think about. It, I haven't read anything talking about beef as being great food for the aristocracy. No, not definitely not like in Europe. They always talk of the uh, yeah, like you said, a fowl and like you know, like goose and and birds and and uh, fish and other things that have been caught. But yeah, beef typically kind of seemed like it was more of a food of the lower class or middle class or the, you know, the working man, which like you said, also part of these problem with Europe and England particularly is there's not a lot of room. There's, so they really didn't cultivate a lot of, you know, livestock. There's there, there is, you know, especially like sheep and other things they would use. Um, it's very much part of English um, community, but there wasn't like the large vast operation where you just let them graze you know you know thousands of head of cattle in an area it's it's more limited in um you got to kind of be more efficient with your with your land yeah yeah and where you have you know the the uh american west which is wide open and you have all the, all those acres for all the all that cattle and really it comes down to I, it would be interesting to look further into what you're talking about came is, is if there was an uptick in beef consumption just because there was more on the market it was more readily available i mean one of the one of the things that allowed for the explosion of the the the, the cattle markets or the cattle industry which this is what it kind of became was was an industry uh was the was the invention of the railroad and then it spanning out west and that's that's where you could suddenly move all those to you know back east and then they could be slaughtered and then sold uh, from there at, at to to the consumer who didn't have to go and raise it himself um and so suddenly you know you could be in the you could be in the cities or wherever and and as as with anything which is basic economics if you flood the market with a product well then the price goes down it can become more accessible to a common working man when it's not some sort of premium product. Whereas before, I mean, if you had maybe your own, you had your own farm, you had your own, as the, as the, uh, as the term was 40 acres and a cow, um, you probably have enough for your own self-sustaining needs. But then when it became a money-making industry, it could become more accessible for you know, various other, other people's as well. So yeah, that, I, we'll have to, we'll have to follow up with that later and see if we can't, if we can't track down the uh, do some detective work and see, okay, the, 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 is there is there any research. do we see it become more of a of just a uh, consumption go up because it's just now there's so much of it available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was yeah. Did, did it wasn't it not until we had the beef um in the beef uh, advertising industry and the beef it's what's for dinner is that the, <laughs> <laughs> right? How long before then? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're. Uh, Wade, you're probably right, Andy. I mean, you can't necessarily raise beef in the middle of New York City, right? I mean, right. you don't have an acre per cow. And plus, I, I think we're missing something here, too, is the dairy cow, right? Like, we talk about cattle, right. but when you talk about 40 acres and a cow, well, that cow is probably for milk. Right. You know, and once the, you know, old Betsy, once she was done, I don't know if they, I don't know if they would even think about making it beef, you know? I don't know. 
That's actually yeah. Uh, you I, can. It's it's not very. It's pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've, tough, I've had dairy cows stuff, before, but yeah, boil it long enough, it'll make it somewhat yeah. chewable. Yeah, you can make a stew out about anything. Won't cook it long enough. So, but I mean, also, I mean, I, I, I mean, I for for especially for those self-sustaining type of farm lifestyles, you would try to use as much as you could from whatever you had too. I mean, you know, you could you could probably use use as many parts as you want. I mean, they would use the bones for things and, and obviously you have know, the hide and and so, you know, it was it was not its primary purpose, but especially where you're if you're trying to raise something out in a in a very remote rural area where you don't have access to a lot of other supplies, you know, you used use what you had. And so I'm I'm pretty sure that if that's what you had, you were gonna find some way to make it consumable. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting that the, uh, the it seems like the Spaniard or like the uh, like the the new new Spain like Mexico they talked about they they really didn't have like they called them dairies but they were more like ranches where they were raising them for the leather and the the the, the tongues and stuff didn't find a lot of research on like them doing the milking that would seem to be a much more um, more a modern thing that happened later in more of the United States I'm sure they did it I mean to a point I don't know when that when it became more of an industry but. Um, it wasn't really a part of the the culture and the the markets there that they talked about. It was mostly for for hide and some meat. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think like, talk about it. Cause I'm, I'm thinking in terms of cheese, right? Um, I think the French used cows for cheese, and maybe the English. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, that's interesting. Hmm, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, because there's the, you got you know the. Uh, queso fresca and the cotija cheese the mexican cheese i wonder when those kind of traditionally came about they started doing making their own all righty so basically there there is a there is a, a note um there are some historical that definitely in 1539 there was cattle that came from mexico into the united states so they started coming over the border, well, what, we, what we consider our border now. It kind of was more of an open frontier then. It was, you know, not really set boundaries. Um, in 1541, there was a note of there was 500 cattle that were taken across the Rio Grande by, by uh, Coronado, which was another early uh, like Mexican explorer. He's the one that kind of did a, he did a big circuit. He kind of came up through like in a New Mexico, California area and then went all the way up. I think even to like the Rockies type area or I'm trying to remember the thing. He made a big circle and kind of came back down. He actually went more than halfway up through what we have modern day U.S. and discovered a lot of stuff like the uh, um, Grand Canyon area and such. He was going through there. Um, and then in 1598 there was a large number of cattle like 4,000 that were taken from New Spain or Mexico um, by Don Juan de I don't know how to say his last name Ofiate Ofiate and uh, so it kind of became became the thing they were they were taking these large group larger larger and larger groups of cattle and bringing them into the US area and the Spaniards were establishing towns for um, doing actually marketing buying and selling like the town of santa fe santa fe new mexico was established in 1609 and that one of the biggest reasons for it was the cattle business and then uh 16 or 1769 then cattle go into california and another group of explorer kind of 
entrepreneur guys, Sarah and Portol. And those are the nuclei for the large herds that later on show up in uh, California, like was kind of the, the main birthplace of a lot of the big, big herds of cattle in the U.S. So, which like you said, you guys said then, then later on the, the trains would carry that back, back east because they weren't really doing large herds. So they were doing them back, doing the big herds, growing them and raising them. And then they had, somebody had to drive them and haul them out of the train cars and back east for consumption exactly yeah somebody had to eat them hence the uh chicago slaughterhouses <laughs> oh yeah then you got a midway stop of chicago yeah, yeah. <laughs> animal farm mm. something like that that uh, uh, movie in the book i still don't understand <laughs> animal farm <laughs> uh, i understand the point of it but it's still kind of <laughs> weird uh all right, guys. Well, so it's a good point to uh, stop here. And then next week, we'll get into um, another important element of the cattle industry and the cowboy. Uh, the, the other third part of the, the what you need for cattle and uh, cowboy is the horse to ride on. So the introduction of horses into um America and how much they were tied in with the religious orders of the, like, um, the Padres, the, the Spanish Padres who held a lot of power. So that'd be interesting. We'll get in. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of real grit, the cowboy podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, come back next week. And, uh, but in between, Go check out the website, thecowboypodcast.com. Our, our illustrious host for this episode, Tristan, has done an awesome job on the website. Go check it out. You're going to find uh, past episodes. You're going to find all sorts of information about us um, and a uh, great resource just to, just to learn more about what we're doing here. And also check out the uh, – uh, uh, any place you get podcasts, go and, and uh, like and write – like, rate, subscribe – uh, to the podcast there we're on a lot of platforms apple Podcasts, spotify amazon stitcher pocket casts where you get podcasts hopefully you can find this there so leave it leave a leave a review it helps us helps helps get the uh the word out and hopefully get more people to to listen to what we got to say and we do appreciate each and every listener that we have thank you so much for for spending your time listening to us well, that's going to do it for another episode of Real Grit, the Cowboy Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and join us next time. Until then, see you down the trail. <laughs>